is Monday, the, Janet, help me out on the date here. It's the 25th. It is the 25th, Monday, the 25th of January. Monday, the 25th of January. How time flies. We're nearly, nearly a year into my first reporting of the Costa de Ge Palace H10 COVID outbreak, which was on, I think, the 27th of February. <laughs> we'll have to we celebrate that anniversary. Yes, we are nearly there a year ago where you were down at the H10 and I was up here and we were working between us. We That's were working true. with the and ITV. And ITV, yeah. We were swept yeah. up, snapped up by the big boys. Yes, absolutely. Because... <laughs> it was on Chinese television, if you please. <laughs> and at the time, it seemed like this, like it was a whirlwind of a news cycle that would come to an end soon and we would go back to kind of humdrum normality and that still hasn't happened. No way. Yeah. I think by the time it resumed in March, because we had the cases in La Gomera and then we had the H10 and it all seemed very separate and very remote and controllable. Yes. And then suddenly it started to take off in about March. And of course, by the 16th, we were looking at lockdown. Absolutely. Um, and, and our little cases in the Canary Islands were no longer of global interest because they had been overtaken by cruise ships in Hong Kong. And, and you know, Italy was was beginning to really explode in terms of the number of cases. Yeah, and I think by then we were starting to realise, or some of us were anyway, that it was not going to be a short thing. This was actually quite big news. Yeah. In, a, in a very big sense. In a and very big sense. You and I both were saying, weren't we, that we can't see this happening, we can't see that happening, I'm likely to have Eurovision. And here we are the Which following Which was the biggest year, blow so... for both of us. I know. <laughs> no, I mean, was. I still feel that loss. I all, Here's, Bali, if anybody from the Eurovision Broadcasting Union is listening, I am hoping that you are already planning a virtual Eurovision Song Contest, because it's highly possible. Well... Jean Olaf Sands, he he's gone now. He's been replaced. I can't remember the name of the person who's taken over, um, but I would think they are probably looking at a rather new model this year because they've got a new chief in charge of it. Okay. And I think they did a marvelous job with it last year. And I would hope they do something very similar. Of of their alternative Eurovision events, you mean? Yes. Yeah. It was well, a good event. It was a yeah. very well done event. It was. Yeah. Well, it'll well, be interesting crossed. to see what they come up with this year. Fingers crossed. Anyway, listen, Janet, we have so much to talk about today. Um, yes. Uh, so we're going to plow on. And the very first thing we're going to ask our listeners to um, enjoy, listen to, maybe learn from, I don't know. During the week, Charmaine Arboyne, who is the British consul for the south of Spain and the Canary Islands, was in Tenerife and I asked her would she answer a couple of questions on the record on tape and she said yes so she did and I think there is information here that will be of use and of interest to quite a lot of people so let's just dive straight in and have a listen to this. People are getting very worried about visas they don't really still understand the issue of 90 days within 180 days especially here in Tenerife because a lot of people have holiday homes and they come here for four or five months in the year or have in the past. What 
is the situation. Okay, so I can understand that this is quite complicated for people and it's also possibly quite distressing if you've been used to coming for whatever length of time you wanted to come. Uh, the short answer is we are no longer members of the European Union and, as, and so we're now what are called third country nationals. So the European Union has agreed we can spend 90 days in any 180 days visa free. Yeah. Um, what people have then sort of said is what if I want to spend more than 90 days? What can I do? So my advice to people is actually what you need to do is speak to the Spanish Embassy or the Spanish Consulate before you come to Spain to find out whether there is a specific visa that's, that suits your circumstances. Yeah? We know that for other third country nationals, sometimes there's the golden visa, sometimes there's been the visado no lucrativo. The extent to which they apply to your circumstances, I cannot tell you. So you have to get in touch with the Spanish Embassy or the Spanish Consulate in the UK before you leave the UK. But that's now, an indication there might be flexibility. Well, uh, I don't know what the rules are in relation to those. They're quite tight. They're not as easy as you just apply for a visa and you can come in. They have monetary requirements attached to them, so you have to have a certain level of income or you have to have invested a certain amount of money. And, and obviously, it, it, there's too much detail for me to go into that on a, you know, uh, talking to you now. So my advice to people is, if you definitely want to come for that length of time and you want to see whether there is any option for you to do that, speak to the Spanish Embassy in the Spanish consulate. Now there is a second group which is a group of people who may come out only with the intention of spending 90 days but for whatever reason something happens like Covid yeah? um, and you end up overstaying those 90 days or you end up at risk of overstaying those 90 days and what you must do in those circumstances is go to Extranjería or go to the Policía Nacional yeah? and you must tell them I am going to have to over, you know, I, I'm going to have to can overstay. Can I have permission, please, to do this? Okay. So, so you, you need to do. The yes. Well, you actually are requesting permission of the authorities, yeah, and they will say, and you should take whatever evidence you have of that. So if it's that you've been ill, you take your doctor's note, or if it's because something else has happened, you've been cited to go to court, you take your um, your piece of paper that shows that you've got a court date. So whatever those circumstances are, you must take those to the Policía Nacional Extranjería and ask permission before you get to the end of your 90 okay, days. So within the, that exactly. Okay. And they will, make, uh, they will make an assessment on that, but I must underline that, 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 that is not, I have a house and I want to stay more than 90 That's days. Not That's not a reason. They have to be extenuating circumstances and they are judged individually and it's nothing to do with the British Embassy or the British Consulate, it is to do with Spanish norms, yeah, okay. the Spanish rules, and you must approach uh, the Spanish uh, Policía Nacional o Extranjería. Obviously, it's only beginning, we're in January, yeah. but I mean, do we know what the authorities could or might do if they feel that people are deliberately trying to flaunt the rules to overstay the 90 days? Well, te technically, you can be deported. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, um, that is now yeah. within the remit of, of the Spanish government, yeah. they can deport you. I mean, I suppose, I mean, the advice that we've been given is uh, you will probably be warned, first of all, and fined. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you're caught again, 
you will be, I think it's called a, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but it's basically deportation, you're expelled. Re regardless yeah? of whether you own a house e or not. Exactly. And it's worth people knowing that that expulsion is not just from Spain, it is from the entire Schengen area. So yeah. from the whole of exactly. the European... Ah, okay, that's Exactly, so it's really important. Right, a couple of people have been concerned. People who are registered as resident here, maybe they were in the UK for Christmas, yeah. and they've been coming back to their homes in Spain, and they're having their passports stamped now. And they're not sure if that means that somehow the authorities are placing them into this visa regulation area. Should they be saying, no, I'm resident, I don't need to have my passport stamped? Do we know what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, basically, if you are resident and you have your residency documents with you, so you've either got the TIE or you've got your green document, or, you know, whether that's the A4 one or the credit card size one, if you have any of those documents that prove your residency, you should not be having your passport um, stamped. That said, there was a lot of confusion in the first in the first um, few days, few weeks, whatever. And some people, we are aware that some people have had their passport stamped. Now there is a process that you can go through where you can go. Um, I'm not sure whether it's extranjería or um, maybe it's best if I sort of direct people to our uh, frequently asked questions on gov.uk and okay. the Living in Spain guys. But essentially, it's not. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it's not. It, you're not going to get kicked out because you do have your you do have your valid residency documents it can make things a little bit more complicated if you're going to go into France and maybe the French don't reckon you know it's like well you've got a seat you know you've got the stamp in your passport therefore blah 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 but if you and this is why we underline the importance of people traveling at all times with their residency documents okay. yeah so if you're going to the UK you're going to France you're going anywhere make sure you take with you your residency documents lots of people sort of traveled and then didn't have their green document with them and just sort of thought that they could come back in and say I have got residency and and even some people that had photographs of them on them on the mobile phone that they weren't being accepted I think we just we need to accept that it's a new regime there are new rules it's taking time to bed in yeah okay. you may well have had a stamp in your passport it really doesn't matter okay. yeah so I mean I wanted to ask you about vaccines and maybe I can combine this with uh, a, the other question I wanted to ask you which was ongoing contact between the British Embassy and the Spanish Embassy yeah. because one of the questions that's also coming up is whether British residents who've never actually been registered with the Spanish public health system but live here and have only used private health insurance, what is their uh, entitlement currently to vaccines and is there conversations between the Spanish and the British embassies and governments about how British residents here will be vaccinated against COVID obviously. Yeah okay so I'll try and answer both, both parts <laughs> of the question so the, the, the first the first bit the answer to the first bit of the question is any UK nationals are here, that, are, that are here now who are properly registered have access to healthcare and they should be getting their vaccine in that way. The two obvious places that you'll be getting it is either um, well, the most obvious places that you'll be getting it through the um, Seguridad Social. Um, I think the Spanish are using exactly the same kind of levels as we're using in the UK, starting off with the public, uh, you know, the front-facing healthcare workers, 80-year-old, 70-year-olds, on the, and working their way down. So that's the most obvious. Uh, that's the most obvious route, and you will be called like everybody else. Yeah. Okay. Um, what happens? Relevant group is called. Exactly. Exactly, and it may be a while before they get get around to you if you're, you know, if you're in your 30s. Um, 
Now, the question about what happens to people that have got private health care, it's still not clear who is going to pick them up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and we have been asking the, um, the Spanish about this, Spanish authorities. My advice to people is to just log on to, I know I'm always plugging it, the Living in Spain guide. Uh, if you go onto the Living in Spain um, page in gov.uk, there's also a link to the healthcare team. And if you have a pressing inquiry, you can email the healthcare uh, team and they will be able to tell you what the latest is for people that have got um, private cover. Because I, I, honestly, I'm not, in, I'm not 100% certain. Yeah. Okay, but it's, there is a question mark. Yeah, there All is. Right. Right, Janet, uh, dissecting what we have heard, um, I think what's important is the issue of visas, which was the first question I put to Charmaine, and she used the D word. And I I was quite surprised at how um, easy she was, easily she talked about the threat of deportation. We have said for some time, have we not, that the overwhelming reaction that we both found, and I imagine the consulate has found as well, the overwhelming response to advice about what was happening and what would be the likely effects of Brexit, particularly on those people who aren't just holidaymakers nor residents, the, the group we call the Swallows, the part-time residents, that oh, they will never do anything to us because we're British, we've invested in the country and they need our tourism money and oh. they'll find a way around it. And indeed, to be fair, throughout last year, the FCDO was on record as saying, well, we know about the Swallows issue. It is an issue mm -hmm. and we will, it is on our radar. Yeah. In fact, yeah. But I think it was the old ambassador, Simon Manley, it might have been Hugh Elliott, but one of them said it's definitely on our radar to talk about it. In fact, now, I think it was this time last year when we met the ambassador in, in Santa Cruz. Yes, indeed. Now, that was obviously something they were hoping there might be movement on, and it's difficult to know where the lack of movement or lack of agreement has come from. Maybe it's just the practicalities of the new system, yeah. rather than anybody not wanting to give or take. What I want to address though is is this idea that because people have invested in Spain as they call it they are deemed to be valuable tourists now yes. to me I want to address that because I think what's going on there is a category error on the part of the people who've made the investment because what they're saying is we are valuable tourists Spain wants our money Spain took our money they want our tourism we should be given a perhaps a different category Special status. Special status, basically, because we've invested heavily in the islands that we want to come and be holidaymakers for longer than three months. But mm. we don't want to be resident there. Or we want to pop in and out. <clears throat> or we want to I pop mean, in and out. More because I think what was clear to me from what Charmaine was saying was that there are there's two questions here. One is the people who come here for five months of the year uh, and maybe are even on the border of thinking, do I want to be a resident or not? And what I got from what she was saying was, why not go to your local consulate or embassy and ask about visas and see if they can help you out there? Yes. And then she was talking about those who want to pop over for two weeks every three months. Yes. Or maybe come in, spend five days, go back, come back a month later and spend another long weekend and go back. And they're the ones who don't have a valid reason for coming back and forth. 
Moving. And they are the ones who feel yeah. that they have made investments and they should be valued as tourists. The problem and the category error is that their investment, Spain regards their investment as an investment in property. Yes, exactly. Not as a tourism investment. Yeah. They see themselves as valued tourists. Spain doesn't see them as tourists at all. Because mm. they bought a property here, it doesn't make them holiday makers. They're investment property. in their property doesn't show up in any tourism figures of course not because, because they bought it from another it individual they can't <clears throat> so when they say we are valued tourists because we've made an investment they aren't deemed tourists and their investment is invisible as far as tourism budgets and finances are concerned because obviously they bought a property and the beneficiary of that purchase <clears throat> is the vendor whether exactly. it was a whether Another it was a private individual. Private, private individual selling a property. The taxes they paid on the purchase will go to the, if you like, the Spanish inland revenue. It yeah. won't go to the tourism authorities. No. So when no. people want to be considered as valuable tourists in this, a special tourism category of their own, it doesn't work because they aren't considered as tourists. So that, I hope, has explained why they're not considered as particular types of tourists who deserve special treatment. And they won't be getting the fact is, If they want to be here more than 90 days in, more, let's put it in rounding up way, if they want to be here more than a total of three months in any six month period, they are going to need a visa. And that is a product of Brexit. And that was known beforehand. It applies to any other non-EU national who wants to come to Spain yeah. for the same I mean, leaving the European Union meant leaving behind, even before deals or transition deals or anything was talked about, very, very clear was that free movement of individuals, both in and out of the UK and UK individuals in and out of Europe, would be finished. I would also make the point that when we have, and I have only very tentatively used the D word, in the past because it is an extreme reaction but if people come in for more than three months without a visa or without registering they are illegal aliens yeah. in a country a foreign country when those people see illegal aliens arrive in the uk they are on their high horse they don't like it at all they are now very angry some of them at being treated the same in a foreign country which they don't have the right to stay in for longer than three months and one has to say check your double standards yeah because you are an illegal alien and you need a visa now and that is a product of brexit and it is no good asking the british authorities you or me about how to get a visa because this is a spanish immigration matter and a and european immigration matter as indeed well. so and um, they need to apply to Spain through exactly, Spain or your Spanish or embassy. Yeah, I mean, exactly. let's kind of also say that as far as I'm concerned, 99.9% um, of British people who are aware of the rules have every intention of following them. Sure. They might they mightn't be very happy about them, but they know that they are the new rules. Of course. So, I mean, we're, like far, far be it from me to say that's what most people think, because I while I think a lot of people aren't happy about it, they're not going to plan to break the rules. And 
from what Charmaine was saying, I think the the threat of any deportation would be for somebody who was deliberately seeking to continuously flout the law. Exactly. And the, the other alternative, of course, is not that you are deported from Spain, which is now a confirmed foreign office position that, as a possibility. Mm. Um, so it's not just us scaremongering, and we've no, both no, no. been scaremongering for saying the word. Um, but the other possibility is that people will get to Spain and be refused entry. Yeah. Because their passports are stamped, because they're trying to come in, they're on record as having exceeded their limit. And as you say, it is for repeat offenders, but people who come for two weeks here and two weeks there and won't stop moving about, they are the ones who are likely to fall into that category of repeat offenders. And that is what they're facing. And it isn't just in and out of Spain, it's in and out of any European country because the EU is a block. Absolutely. Okay. Speaking of travel, um, news that is just breaking today in Ireland, which I thought might be of interest, uh, certainly to anybody who is listening in Ireland and is planning to come here, and also perhaps people who wonder might the same thing happen in the UK. The police in Ireland are now, they have roadblocks uh, on roads in and out of Dublin airport, the ports and the train stations, um, because at the moment, Irish people are not allowed to travel, first of all, beyond a five, five kilometer radius of their home, and secondly, for anything that is not considered an essential journey. And the Garda Commissioner, the Police Commissioner, stated today in the Irish Times, holidays are not essential journeys. So, I mean, that is probably the most extreme measures that I have heard now in terms of my country of origin uh, and how they are treating people who are looking to take holidays. So taking a holiday to the Canary Islands at the moment is in a sense breaking the law. And the same does actually apply in the UK in terms of what's allowed because of their lockdown. They are only allowed to be out for essential journeys and it's quite clear from the um, the GovUK's travel advice website, the official website, that foreign journeys, unless for essential reasons or for somebody, say, coming home, they are not allowed either. Mm. And I think the UK is reported anyway to be on the verge of announcing tougher border restrictions. So they may well be doing the same there. Okay. Heathrow has had enormous problems in recent days with the numbers that have come into the UK, where they're trying to process them because of border controls that now, of course, there are Brexit issues with border as control well. as well as COVID. So yeah. the border control in the UK is a little bit nightmarish at the moment mm. for people arriving in, into the UK. And Heathrow's got problems because they say there's so many people who they have to process. The buildup is such they can't even safely distance them. They just don't have the facility. They are border control, not police. So they can't make people wear masks, for example. They have okay. no actual powers. So Heathrow's in a bit of a, a storm at the moment, in, in media storm at the moment because of that. And around all of that are discussions as to what the UK does next because of foreign strains that Johnson says he doesn't want in the UK, like the South African variant, and the Brazilian, Brazilian variant. And, and so there is even talk that people returning, including British nationals, people returning to the UK will be forced to quarantine in a hotel that's going to be policed. Yeah, the same, they're, they're talking about the same in Ireland, that um, there will be a PCR test required 
quarantining and another PCR test five days later. And if people are refusing the test, they could also be into forced quarantining. I mean, it sounds so extreme. We started this podcast talking about, do you remember this time last year? If we had said this this time last year, that there would be forced quarantining, um, possibly in, you know, uh, required vaccinations for certain things like flying or going to schools or going to colleges, people would have laughed us off the screen or off off the, the podcast page. But it's- Well, we hinted at it, didn't we? We hinted at this future dysfunctional, at this dysfunctional future where people hadn't obeyed all the rules. And this was a sort of terrible end scenario if people didn't abide by the rules and we hope they would. And here and we so are. stop traveling and we were laughed at a little bit. And yet here we are. Yeah. Listen, let's let's stay here then in the Canary Islands, Janet, because um, we don't want to to bore people too much with our reminiscences. Um, but a couple of things I think are important to mention. I said last week that I would look into the situation regarding vaccinations. Now, Charmaine, again, I asked Charmaine about vaccinations, Spain's public health rollout and private citizens. And she kind of confirmed what you and I had said that for now, the priority will be those in the public health system. Um, and so there's still a question mark there about people who have got private health only. But yes. I mean, I, I don't want to go into that because it's it's a very, very complicated area, I think, and complex. Um, but one of the things I was able to find out was the situation regarding people who are here in Adeje, just in our borough, who are in care homes. Now, I mean, as we know, back in Ireland and England and other places, residents and staff in care homes have been in priority groups in terms of receipt of the vaccination. Yes. But those are care homes that are registered with social services, with councils and with the health service. Now, I know in Arona and in Adeje, for instance, there are private care homes. I mean, and I know this directly because there, at times I've had to reach out to people from the Adeche Council just to kind of tell a partner that the person that their wife or their husband is in a non-registered care home just so that they're aware of that. So they are existing and they do operate in Adeche. Now, there has never been any question about the quality of the care that people are receiving there. You know, it's always been very good. People have been very happy about it. But if they're not registered in the health system, they don't have an automatic line into the early vaccination route. And I just think that's important for people to know that. And I asked my contact as well in social services, what about the frontline workers there, the healthcare staff and the health assistants? And what she said was that would depend on the company who is employing them. So if they're employed, if they, if you're a private nurse or a private healthcare worker working in one of these care homes, you're obviously being employed either by the care home or by an agency who's running the care home. Now you need to check with that agency whether they have registered you as a frontline healthcare worker with the public health system. Oh, that's very important to know, Claire. That's very good research. That's but, vital. You know, it is because you could be working in a care home, but if, if the health system don't know that you're a frontline and you haven't been registered as a nurse with, with the health system, you don't have an automatic right to that vaccination. And I think it's very important that you should. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's vital that people know that they they have at least a route now to check whether they might be entitled. Yeah. I mean, again, 
I say this and I've said this lots of times to people throughout this pandemic. I am an individual who rings people up to get information. Okay. I'm not the be all and end all. And my information today could be invalidated by tomorrow because there'd be a, a rule made or a bylaw or somebody in authority will say, we're not going to vaccinate, you know, private healthcare workers. But for now, the advice that I have been given is that people who are working in privately non-registered care homes should check with their employer that they are registered as frontline healthcare workers. Good advice. And, and you're right. And, and people who listen to us, who, who aren't, who still aren't sure about what we do, it, it is true that we are interpreters, if you like, we're social interpreters. We know who to go to for the information. The yeah. information we give is confirmed and verified, whether I am talking about the law to do with property ownership, which I've got qualified lawyers. Which is your, your, your area, yeah. Or whether we're talking about um, immigration rules with the Foreign Office or the Spanish Immigration Authorities, we go to the source and then we interpret it for readers or listeners. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's important that people actually know the sort of information is confirmed, but it can, of course, be Change. changed within within minutes of our yeah. presenting yeah. it, depending yeah, I mean, on like the whole thing. issue uh, about the vaccine and who is who, who can get it, who it's going to be available for and what happens to people who've lived here for many years and have only ever used private health care. My understanding at the moment is that the public that the Spanish government are rolling it out via the public health care system. That's that not to say, yeah. yeah, but that's yeah. my understanding. That's not to say that there isn't a, an association of private hospitals like Hospitain, which has many different clinics who are in negotiation currently with the government or with a vaccine provider to have a parallel uh, provision for vaccines. I my don't understanding. know that. My understanding, and it is only an understanding as we've been talking about, is that at the moment there are negotiations going on with Sanidad nationally, together with some private hospital chains, chains like Hospitem, um, and the regional governments, which in turn are talking to municipios, not cabildos, because the Canary Islands is one of, is unusual in the sense it has this extra layer of government in, in the it cabildo. Does. It does. Um, most most out, most autonomous communities in Spain have regional government and then just council areas without exactly. So the route seems to be government talking to private health providers like Hospitem and regional governments, which in turn are talking to the council areas, because ultimately people who have private health care, which is a perfectly legitimate start place to be in, because it's a requirement if you are registering as a resident here without being in the um, social security system. A you new actually resident, yes, right yes, now. indeed. Perfectly legitimate. But Spain wants all these people to be vaccinated as well. So there are discussions, but we haven't got the information yet as to how they're going to be incorporated into the programme. Exactly. And I suppose what we're both doing to people is saying, please don't point the finger at us and say we got it wrong. Oh, we, no. What we try to do every week is bring you the information that we can access um, as most up to date as possible, but we are we are fallible, my dear people. <laughs> we are fallible, and time moves on, and things change. It's it's an evolving epidemic and yeah. pandemic, and the response to it evolves, or at least it should, and it is yeah. evolving. Yeah. 
as, a, as an evolving response to something, a situation that's constantly changing. Okay. Janet, very, very quickly then, speaking of that, just before we sign off, last week we confirmed to people that Tenerife had gone to level two. Yes. Um, now, we were saying that there were special measures that might or might not change things that were to be reviewed at the weekend. Has that happened and what are the changes? Yes, it has. And the changes are <clears throat> the Tenerife remains in level two and level two is quite a bit more relaxed than level three. But the special measures have been extended indefinitely. OK, so that, that we have are curfews. Yep, that's right. That's exactly right. Because the curfew is part of special measures, not level two. Okay. Now, we remain in level two, but our level two is not quite as relaxed as another level two might be, because we also have the special measures. Okay. Basically, from when we talked last week, there is very little change. People are allowed out until 11pm because of the curfew. Mm -hmm. Because they're only allowed out to 11pm, that's when businesses must close. Okay. And um, we can, however, now meet groups of people up to a maximum of six from different households. Yeah. Last week, it was only four. Yeah. Okay. So this, this week, we've got a little bit more freedom. It feels a little bit more relaxed, but we're still under special measures. And the figures in the Canaries are not looking good right now. And certain important for parents of kids who are doing activities, uh, certain private activities, gyms have reopened. Um, I know dance and theatre schools are reopening slowly. Um, and what they're doing is the rule of law, or the, the, the rule, because both of us have tried to interpret this, is that um, an indoor class can take place with up to six people, including the monitor, if social distancing cannot be guaranteed, and if it can be guaranteed, we believe, we believe that means there can be more in a class. And we can do no more than believe that because the law, as so often, it allows room for interpretation and flexibility, but it also, in the doing of that, causes confusion sometimes. Yeah. There's no definitive statement as to what happens if you can't maintain, maintain two yeah. meters distancing. Yeah. But I mean, my advice to people has been, uh, Try and keep the groups low, wear masks at all times if you can. And and if you are told something by a member of the authority, just listen to them and obey the rules, obey what they tell you. And that is true whether you're in a dance class or a shopping centre or a hospital or a car or wherever. You know, it's it's jolly good advice. All right. Keep your distance, wear your mask and obey official rules and you won't go far wrong. No, and and hey, compared to back where I come from we've got glorious weather I've been swimming every day uh, spending an hour or two on the beach it's not the worst place in the world if we're going to be in lockdown so well, let's, I tell you, my... let's look for the small pleasures <laughs> we can have as I posted on my website only the last couple of days we are in the real sunlit uplands right now because you know we're upland and it is very very sunny but actually it's just clouded over but uh... yeah. the sunsets are stunning guys this I tell you, the January skies, there's something about skies in January. I don't know why. Maybe a meteorologist could explain why. It looks like there are quilted textures to the clouds. And there also the sun is setting from where I sit uh, behind El Hierro now. So there's a much wider expanse of sky as that sun slips quickly behind the islands of La Gomera and El Hierro and just creates the most incredible vistas. So. 
there's me going all poetic using words like vistas. <laughs> well, I tell you one thing that I was never really aware of in the UK, but it, it is so in your face here. As you say, at the moment, the sun is setting behind El Hierro. If you're in the West looking remotely West, mm -hmm. it's setting behind El Hierro. Come autumn, it will be setting between the twin peaks of La Palma. You can see the sun move between the solstices. Yeah. And I never got that impression. I never got the sense of that. In because, the because we the had, well, it, so and there's yeah. so much sky here. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> so guys, I know we're all going through a tough times. Uh, some people are a hell of a lot tougher than others. So I don't know if it, it doesn't put food on your plate or money in your back pocket, but at least we have one or two small pleasures that we can enjoy while we're here in the Canary Islands. And if we can, if you are in the UK and you wish to God you could get back here and you just can't, I hope that we're giving you a little bit of a flavour of the lovely things that are still here waiting for you when you can yeah. come back. In good time. In good time. <laughs> All right, Janet. Well, you stay safe. Stay safe up there. Mind the okay. chickens. <laughs> and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Bye bye, Kia. Bye bye, everybody. Stay safe and talk to you next week.